With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. Hey, welcome to Tuesday night's edition of Beyond Reality Paranormal Talk Radio. With us in queue is author and tour guide Ross Allison. He will be uh, speaking about his tour, Spook in Seattle, which he holds. Also with us, of course, are my two hosts, Chad Griffin and Jan Reynolds. Welcome, everybody, to Beyond Reality Paranormal Talk Radio. It's a pleasure to have you all here this fine early evening. Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on. You know, I wanted to have you on a while back, and one thing went to another, and, you know, I let it go. So now that you're here, uh, I'm really pleased to have you on. You do some, some fun things. You've been associated, obviously, with Dead Air Paranormal, their radio show for some time. Um, you've worked at the Research Institute of the Paranormal. Um, and, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. And uh, I noticed that you're from Green River Community College, which is Tacoma, Washington area. And the only reason I'm familiar with that area is because I read so many of the uh, they had five killer books that detailed the area within that whole entire area, and maps and all that. So, okay, no, they uh-huh. kind of strange, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but uh, it's a pleasure to have you on. I was up in Seattle, actually, last year, and, and I saw some of your books and your work up there. Um, and, you know, it's a long, long story short. I didn't know it was you. So now, you know, I saw your, your pages and I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> so so that was kind of cool. So I put two two together here, and, and uh, here we are. Um, yeah, I've been, I've been a while, around for quite some time now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when, you know, somebody asked me a question before I ever got in queue, and they're like, ask Ross. You know how he got into the business and why he's into the business. I'm like, okay, so here we go. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> well, um, I blame my mother. I, I, I have a mother that loves ghost stories. So ever since I was a little kid, she used to read me and my sister's ghost stories whenever she'd come across these stories, and she loved to tell us stories. And I think she probably got a kick out of scaring us kids. But uh, I, I just was fascinated with these stories, you know, this ghost stories, you know, are people really experiencing this phenomena? It, it, it just baffled me. So for me, I've always been curious about it due, due to the fact of all these encounters that people are having rather than those people that are involved in the field due to because they had those encounters. You know, oh, I grew up in a haunted house, and so that's what got me involved in this. So for me, I was just envious of all that. I wanted to know what was really going on out there. And then it was just, uh, I had moved around quite a bit 
uh, through my life. I'd actually uh, lived in California for a short time. So I got to, you know, work with a lot of the big names in the field down in California. And then it was around 2000 that I uh, had moved back to Washington. And I wanted to get back involved in the ghost hunting field, but at that time, there weren't any ghost hunting groups out there. There weren't any, anything out there that I could, you know, get a, be a part of. So um, I just ended up uh, getting a hold of a bunch of my friends and saying, hey, you guys, you know, it's Halloween. Let's do some ghost hunting. There's this really cool cemetery down the street. And so all my friends were like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea, but let's hit the bars first. So, yeah, I was like, okay, I don't need a bunch of drunks in the cemetery. So a friend of mine just said, why don't you just start your own group? So I did. I, I started a ghost, which stands for the Advanced Ghost Hunters of Seattle, Tacoma. And everything just kind of took off from there. I, you know, started the ghost hunting. And as I was uh, doing a lot of research in some of these places that we had the opportunity to investigate, especially in Seattle, these amazing historic spots, you know, like the Seattle Underground, I started, you know, collecting all these stories and all this research. And when I started doing ghost tours, and I'd always done ghost tours everywhere I've been, I started to do research on some of the places they were talking about. Because it was exciting. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to see if I can get into this place and do an investigation. And so I started to find that a lot of these ghost tours were making up stories or dramatizing stories just to scare people. Because, you know, it was, it was a ghost tour, and that's what people, I guess, expected. And so I was pretty, pretty much let down by that. I was just like, oh, my gosh, you know, I, if I'm going to do a ghost tour, you know, I want people to, to, to hear the real stories. I want people to see the evidence that we've collected throughout the years. And so from that point, I ended up starting Spooked in Seattle. And that just took off. So I find myself now pretty much one of the only uh, full-time paranormal investigators in the Northwest, you know, with my lecturing, my ghost tours, my books, and then just running a nonprofit organization as well. So, yeah, that, what you, that's my story. <laughs> what you should be saying, Ross, is you're one of the only really respected ones. I mean, there are so many that are calling themselves, you know, ghost researchers and so on, and they're not. So that's why I wanted to have you on the show today. Well, thank um, you. It's, it's been a lot of work getting to where I'm at now. Yeah, you have to, you know, and, and, and it's difficult, you know, really to sort through all the, uh, you know, excuse my French, but to sort through all the rubbish and bullshit to, to get where right. you, you know, where you are. It's tough. But you've written a couple of books, haven't you? you you've got My Haunted Journal. Uh, you got Ghostology 101. Can you tell me a little bit about Ghostology 101 with that uh, details? Well, Ghostology 101 uh, was actually one of my first books out there. And um, it goes back to 2005. So I think I need to do an update on that one. Um, but it basically was to teach uh, people if they wanted to get involved in ghost hunting, some of the basic steps that they could take. You know, we published our earlier reports that we were doing. And then, of course, some of the stories, ghost stories in the Seattle area at that time. So we covered a lot of what was going on um, when it came to ghost hunting at that time. You know, a lot has changed since, you know, 2005. And we've learned a lot. Um, since then. So that's why I'm saying that book needs to be updated. But, you know, one of my next books coming out, uh, Psychology for the Ghost Hunter, that's coming out this year. 
Um, I'm really uh, getting caught up on a lot of the technology that we're using for ghost hunting, some of the things that, you know, ghost hunters should be using, and then also the psychology that's involved in this field. You know, if you're going to be a ghost hunter out there, one of the things that a lot of these groups fail in is having a fair level of skepticism. It's so easy for a lot of these people to run out there and start pointing at everything and saying it's a ghost and not really do the work and the research involved in this field. So I'm really trying to get people to be a little more open-minded and carry that fair share of skepticism with my next book, Psychology for the Ghost Hunter. You know, I've been waiting for a book to come out like that. Um, what is the, what's the premises for that book? Are you the psychology part? Are you, um, are you doing more, are you doing parapsychology or how, how does that uh, No, actually, that? actual psychology. Um, how we as uh, ghost hunters can be influenced by our clients when they believe that their place is haunted. And they're you know, labeling everything as being paranormal, and we go in and we investigate, and so we're going in expecting to experience what they claim to experience. So it goes into how clients can affect us, but also how we as investigators can affect the, the clients. You know, when the client's not sure what's going on, a group goes in claiming, oh, yes, this is all ghosts, this is all demons, this is all, you know, whatever – uh, poltergeist phenomena, and the client will believe that. Whether this group is legit or not, they will accept that and move on with that information. And here's a prime example. Um, my team travels all over the world doing investigations, and we actually went to um, the ancient Rams Inn in London, or just outside of London, actually. And uh, this place is uh, very famous, uh, very well known, especially in the UK area. Uh, for having a very malevolent, haunting, very physical phenomena. And so we were really excited to go in and do this investigation. Now, we met up with the owner, and this is an elderly man that was living there. Uh, He had uh, been living there for quite some time. He even raised his family in this location. And so, of course, when we get there, we interview the clients, wanting to get all the details as to what's going on. So we have firsthand stories rather than secondhand. And so he's telling us all these amazing claims, you know, from a succubus that, you know, is raping him at night. And then, you know, there's a child buried under this section over here and all these, uh, you know, medieval um, things that took place on the property and these murders and killings. And it was just it was a lot of amazing stuff that they claim to happen in this home. But one of the things that I've always told people when they get involved in this field is go with what you know and not with what you think you know. And unfortunately with ghost hunting, there is a lot of different theories and ideas out there. So, you know, when he's claiming all this information, I I asked him, I said, well, how do you know this? How do you know that there's a child buried in the corner of this room? And he says, well, I had a psychic come through, and a psychic told me there's a child buried under this corner. Okay, so you're going on her or his impression. How do you know it's a succubus? Well, again, I had somebody come in and tell me that it was a succubus. So, again, this is just a prime example of how we as investigators can influence the client. Because whatever we say, you know, becomes the word of God. And they're like, oh, my gosh, this is what's obviously going on in my home. When 
in all honesty, we all don't know what's really going on. We have ideas as what's going on, but we don't have all the answers. And so I think, you know, the, the best way we can proceed in investigating the paranormal is just to simplify things. Go with what we know and not with what we think we know. Right. And, you know, I was talking to Evan about this earlier today, and I talked to my husband. He's a psychology major. And we were, we kind of threw that question out there about, you know, there was recently another um, death with an investigator involving He was mentally ill. And, you know, we, we kind of came up with the question, well, if when people go in to ghost hunting, into the paranormal, if they're not protected, if they're not, you know, quite right, is it possible that their mental illness will get uh, more advanced or if they will, you know, open themselves to things that could possibly um, magnify the problems that they already have psychologically. And that seems to be a, re- a reoccurring theme recently. Do you mm-hmm. touch on that, or what is your opinion on that? Well, again, when we go into the situations where um, we don't know what we're up against, it's so easy to make any kind of judgment as to what you think you're what's going on especially when the evidence is not coming in like you're hoping it would you know you're not getting evps with who they say they are or why they're there so i think a lot of times what people in the in the world of paranormal research is we go in with these ideas and a lot of times a lot of people are already front-loaded with information about what seems to be occurring on the property or what they claim is occurring on the property And so we go in and we're expected as paranormal investigators to have answers, to help the client along as to what we think is going on. And people tend to forget that with ghost hunting, it's all about being at the right place at the right time. So you don't always get the answers that you're expecting to get. And so I I think a lot of times we just make assumptions as to what's going on. And as I said, too, you know, if you're not truly trained or have a a clear understanding of what you're getting into, the fear factor can easily uh, take over as well. And then, of course, you know, I think if you're going to go into a situation where you're going to be investigating something that is intelligent, that's haunting the environment – and you're going to be disrespectful, like a lot of these groups that tend to follow like ghost adventures and stuff like that. They go in and they taunt the spirits and they're provoking them to, to prove themselves that they're there. Then, yeah, you're going to be putting yourself in a situation where you're probably going to be dealing with something that's probably not going to be responsive right away, but maybe later when you're not expecting it. Yeah, you know, Ross, I, I have to really agree with what you're talking about right now because I had a case I was kind of young and naive and a little crazy and well I'll be honest just downright stupid <laughs> I was calling out something that I didn't know I was calling out and boy was I calling it out I, I wanted mm-hmm. I wanted that evidence you know and, and nothing ever happened that night not the week before that not a week after that not a month later it was about two months later. I had a big-time problem, 
unexplainable stuff started happening. It's been happening for a long time. And, you know, I can only, you know, conclude that it was based on what I was doing at that particular place. And it's like, you know, I being seasoned at this stuff now, actually retired from ghost hunting, I learned my lesson. I know you just you just don't don't call things out that you don't understand because I'll tell you what, it's a good way to have some serious repercussions heading your way. And it may not be, just like you said, it may not be today or tomorrow or a week later. You know, um, it can happen a year from now. Um, All right. It's a, you know, and it's a situation where, you know, people go in and they taunt whatever's there. And it's probably, it's probably right in your face saying, yeah, I'll get you. I'll get you. Maybe not right now, not while people are watching, but I'll get you. So why put yeah. yourself in that position, you know? <laughs> exactly. I think you're going to be more successful on investigation if you're respectful. You know, and and they say, you know, you can lead more flies to honey than anything. So, you know, why not, you know, just be respectful, be kind, be nice. And, you know, hopefully you'll get more responses than you would if you're just going to be an asshole, you know. Yeah, and yeah. Respect, respect is, I think, very, very important. You know, Ross, we had a priest on the show um, several months ago. And one of the main things that stuck out about this interview with him I asked him about what really bothers me in the paranormal is hearing children when you use mm-hmm. equipment. You know, sometimes a baby will come, you know, a young child will come through. Or really, it really upsets um, when I hear that because, you know, biblically, the way I grew up, that's not supposed to happen. You know, that's mm-hmm. not what the Bible told me was going to happen. And the priest told me, you're not always talking to who you think you're talking to. If you mm-hmm. get pulled in with a child, then it's possible they know your weakness, because I love children, they know your weakness, and they're going to try to pull you in that way. They're going to shapeshift in, into a child. And so that's something I think a lot of people don't, you know, going in, you can't always trust, like you said, who, who you're talking to. You don't know who that might be. And it could right. be a shapeshifter who's trying to pull you in. And I think that's the dangerous part of this business. People mm-hmm. who, who have not studied. And I, I, the other day I looked up parapsychology um, courses online. They're, we are so far behind. Um, we are. In the U.K., mm-hmm. they are always, you know, they have classes and they're studying the subject. But we have yet to do that. And I think if we do, we would absolutely have, um, you know, more armor that we could use and knowledge is power. But there's really nothing mm-hmm. like that out there. So that's why I said I'm so happy that you were writing a book about the psychology part because it's, it can be it can be dangerous. Oh, yeah. And there's so much more to it than, you know, just going in with a camera and EMF detector and calling yourself a ghost hunter. You know, as I said, you know, even with writing the book Psychology for the Ghost Hunter, I, I, I've learned a lot myself, you know, and I'm still learning. Because as I'm doing research for this book, I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, I didn't know that. And so, you know, I think it's going to be a very powerful book when it's out there. And I think, you know, one of those things is we all have to understand that it is a learning process for us all. You know, again, we don't have the answers. It's all trial and error for us. 
And all we can do as investigators is do the best to document these encounters, collect as much data as possible, and then publish it. You know, don't be afraid of what people are going to say. Yes, some people are going to believe you. Some people are going to think you're full of crap. But as long as that information is published and you did the best that you could as an investigator, it's going to give somebody a stepping stool to move further with your research. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Wallace, where, where all have you investigated at? Oh, my God. I, I can easily say I've probably done 500 investigations all over Jeez. the world. Oh, yeah. wow. Cool. Yeah. Have so, you, have you, you know, the question the is, Buffalo area? what's that? Have you ever been to the Buffalo area? Uh, Buffalo, New York? Yeah, Hinsdale. Yes. yes. In fact, I lecture uh, in New York quite a bit. Um, oh, I'm wow. always mostly mostly in Poughkeepsie, New York, or around Manhattan. But uh, I have been out to Buffalo a couple times. I got to go out to uh, uh, Snoqualmie, uh, not Snoqualmie, uh, uh, the Falls, Niagara Falls. Got to go yeah, out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm outside of Buffalo just a little. Yes, so, it's yeah, a beautiful to... cemetery in that area that I love to visit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the only thing I've done with Buffalo is eat at Buffalo Wild Wings, Jan. Yeah, yeah, come to Buffalo. Not for the pizza, not for the wings, but for the cemetery. Yeah. So, tell me a little bit about uh, Dead Air Paranormal. You've done that show for a while, haven't you? Well, I've been a guest on the show for a while. They've actually had me on for, for quite a bit. Um... So, yeah, I've, I've worked with them quite a bit. Um, I've done all kinds of stuff. You know, I've always been willing to step in and help people out, especially in the very beginning, you know, because I was doing this before the television shows. So when a lot of this, you know, started popping up and the popularity of ghost hunting, you know, a lot of people reached out to me for advice and helping them with projects and helping them get things off the ground. So I've kind of had my hands with a lot of different things. Um, I was going to ask you, have you ever, I've also been, um, I was a lead investigator in a a paranormal team, and I kind of got away from that, but I still do it. You know, I still go do some places and do fundraisers and things, and I ran into a situation where (laughs) I actually had one speak to me through the walls. I was thinking I was talking to um, the historian at a jail. There's there's an old Obama County jail that I go to sometimes, and um, I've done fundraisers, and we go back and investigate. And I was sitting in the what they call the gallows, where they used to hang people. And the historian, who is my friend, was in the room next to me, and she was banging things around, you know, in the walls. And I was like, Debra, are you okay? And she said, yes. And I said, okay, do you need help? No. I said, okay. So I thought that was odd because Debra can't just answer a question with yes or no. She's like me. you got to go on and on. So, anyways, a few minutes later, she walks out of the jail, and I said, you, you were just talking to me um, in that room, right? <laughs> She's like, oh, no. It was her oh, wow. way. She was speaking to me, and I told her about it, and she said, you know, they mimic me all the time. This is something that, that I guess they think is fun, but it was, 
it was the most real experience I've ever had in the paranormal, other than, you know, seeing apparitions and things like that when I was younger. I've, I've actually seen them, which is why I'm in this business. But, you know, I just wondered if you've ever had an intelligent like that. And it was definitely plain game, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was amazing to me, you know, that he, whoever this was, probably an inmate, could, could shapeshift into her and talk to mm-hmm. me through the walls. It was amazing. I just wonder if you've ever, have you ever had any experience with anything like that? Um, honestly, I, not that I can recall where it was posing as somebody else, but yeah, I had, you know, heard intelligent responses when asking, you know, a question. Um, there's been a few um, direct responses uh, with that, but not that, I, that I'm aware that they were posing as somebody else. So that is uh, definitely pretty fascinating. Yeah, that that was, of all the things, you know, we, we carry around all this equipment. I think we probably had $20,000, $30,000 worth of equipment that day because so many people were there and bringing their equipment. But that, mm-hmm. for me, was it, that personal experience that just nailed it for me. You right. know, I got and into that, it looking for answers, and that's what, that answered my question. Yes, And, and that's there. pretty much way, the way it is with ghost hunting. You can go in with thousands of dollars worth of equipment, you know, sensitive equipment, and you're hoping to have these amazing readings to support these personal encounters that you have. And sometimes you don't always get that. And you just walk away with that experience saying, wow, you know, I believe I had that experience. It just sucks that I can't prove it to anybody, you know? (laughs) Exactly. Well, she knew exactly what I was talking about. So the two of us, you know, we had that, oh, yeah. This is definitely, Mm -hmm. this happened. And that means Mm -hmm. more to me than really anything we've ever gotten on, you know, EVPs or Mm -hmm. I've had, I've had some very negative experiences as well to the point that I thought I'll never do this again. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a time when I was on a show with someone and she brought out a Ouija board. I don't do Ouija boards. I'm horrified of them because I'm bad this (laughs) And so she brought it out, and some really scary things happened. And um, I took a selfie at one point, and there was somebody there with me, and I was sick for a week, and I thought, I'll never do this again, ever. But, of course, mm-hmm. I think once you get it in your blood, you just you have it for life. <laughs> once you've seen, you can't unsee. Um, have you right. had any of those experiences that, you know, really makes you, you know, kind of question well, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's always going to be questions, definitely. Go ahead. Sorry. What she wants to know has have you ever been scared to the point where you could just about shit yourself? Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's basically what I was trying to ask you. All right. All right. Um, my honest answer is no. Um, I've been startled. I have been startled on a few occasions, but a lot of times it, things happen so fast that you're not really sure what you just experienced. Um, now, I have been in situations where it would probably be unsettling, but I've never um, been so terrified that I would never follow through with an investigation. Um, because, again, you know, I feel like it's defeating the purpose of why I'm here. Uh, I'm trying to collect evidence here, and hopefully something uh, will communicate to me. Um, I think most fears come from within ourselves 
of, you know, again, we're facing the unknown. We don't know what to expect. Um, and so we tend to scare ourselves more than anything. Um, but there was one case that I would definitely say that I would not want to investigate alone. And that would be um, the famous case that I talk about, um, St. Louis University. And um, that one actually is where um, I lecture at colleges all over the U.S. And I, when I do my lectures, after my lecture, I'll take the students on a ghost hunt of their campus. And St. Louis University is where the uh, true exorcist case took place. And the story is invo- uh, involves a little boy, not a little girl. So um, he was actually brought to the campus because at that time, the church that was involved actually owned a building that is now owned by the campus. They have sold it to them. And this is the building that the boy was brought to uh, for a short time. And the story is that the church believed that they could not perform a full exorcism on the boy because inside the church, because this could possibly kill him. So they moved him to various uh, secret locations as they performed multiple exorcisms on the boy before they finally um, ended it in a, uh, the local hospital. Now, I was brought to the building. We're doing our you know, investigation, and there was nothing unusual about the building until we got to the fourth floor. Now, once we got to the fourth floor, um, I was surprised to find that it was completely run down. I mean, there was graffiti everywhere, holes all over the place. Um, so it was actually the perfect setting for a ghost hunt. Um, but I was just surprised at how huge it was up there. And I would think, gosh, you know, a campus's size, why aren't they us- utilizing the space? And they said that they've had so many problems on the fourth floor that they've completely shut it down. And when they refer to it as problems, they're hinting around as paranormal problems. So I'm intrigued, you know, we're, we're kind of going around through all the different rooms and, you know, taking pictures, taking readings, and they take me into this one room and they tell me, oh, this is where a nun had committed suicide. And I'm thinking, oh, that's great. You know, not that she committed suicide, but it was just at least a good lead, you know. <laughs> so we continue through all the other different rooms and we finally walk into this one room. And right when I walked into the room, I heard this crunch underneath my feet. And I looked down and I realized I'd stepped on a dead bird. Now, that wasn't, that's nothing unusual for anybody that's investigated, you know, an abandoned place. So I just kind of like kicked it over to the side so none of the students would step on it either. But, but to my surprise, when I shined the light, uh, flashlight through the rest of the room, I found that the room was just filled with dozens and dozens of dead birds. Yeah. Now, what, what made this odd is two things. Number one, security had removed all the doors on the fourth floor. And the reason for this is because they've constantly had problems with students sneaking up there to scare each other. So it just made it easier for them to do their rounds when there was no doors. And number two was the fact that I had already gone through most of the fourth floor. And I hadn't come across any dead animals until I get into this one room. Come to find out, this is the room that the boy had stayed in. So an exorcism would have been performed in this room. So yeah, creep factor's just gone up. 
Wow. So, yeah, I'm just like, okay, this is interesting. So, again, I, you know, I bring in the students into the room, and I give them some of the basic equipment that they can use for a ghost hunt. And we're in this room for less than five minutes when all of a sudden all the equipment goes off at the exact same time. We're talking the temperature started to drop in the room. And it's dropping rapidly, you know, almost to the point where I'm expected to see my breath anytime soon. And the EMF detector is going off like crazy. We can't figure out what's causing the EMF readings because, again, there's no lights on up there. And we can't figure out where it's coming from. But also, the compass is spinning around and around and around and around, and it will not stop. It's spinning like crazy. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, my God. This is really happening. So, you know, to do my job as a paranormal investigator, I got to document this. I got to prove that we are really experiencing this. And a picture is not going to prove that. So I quickly switch my camera over to video. I start filming everything that's going on. I'm filming the equipment. I'm filming the students. And I'm trying to capture as much to prove that we're experiencing this. And then all of a sudden it starts to slow down a little bit. You know, the compass is starting to slow down. I think, okay, before it completely stops, let's try for some EVP. So I start asking questions into the air. And I leave, you know, of course, the standard 15 um, minutes after each question. And I get to the question, can you tell me whose room this is? Now, there's about 15 seconds of silence after that. And then all of a sudden, I start to hear crying to the left of me. And I turn, and I realize that a couple of the female students have started to cry because they're so terrified being in this room. So I'm realizing, okay, uh, they're uncomfortable. I have to admit, I'm a little uncomfortable too because I don't have my normal ghost hunting team. This is just a bunch of college students. So for me, it's always safety first. So I decide, you know what, you guys, let's go ahead and wrap up, and we'll move on to another location. So we did. Now, I was hoping that I'd be able to go back later that evening to do my own personal investigation, but I didn't get an opportunity to go back that night. But when I finally finished my lecture tour and I got home and started reviewing, you know, the evidence that I had collected uh, throughout, the, that, throughout the campuses that I've been on, I got to that video. And I got to the part where I had asked the question, can you tell me whose room this is? Now, I'm going to edit this because I don't want to offend anybody. But the response I got, <laughs> the response that I got was in a male, deep, breathy voice. It said, "F you, it's mine." Yes, Carrie. Yeah. So that is one place I probably would not want to investigate alone. Wow. Uh, no. No. You know, I mean. Okay, so I moved, you know, from, from Portland, Milwaukee, where I was living, and, you know, you're talking about, you know, things that scare people and things like that. So, you know, this is a big house, and, uh, no, we don't have any history on it or anything. And, you know, one day I I drive into a, my garage door, and, you know, I, um, I, I turned it up, you know, you press the button and the garage door goes up. You press the button and the garage door goes down. Okay. Well, I'm in the garage. I raised the garage door by pressing the remote. 
I was just sitting in my car, and uh, the garage door is on the visor of the car, and the garage door comes down. So I, I, you know, I look out the window, and I'm yelling for my daughter. I'm like, yes, thanks for grabbing the door for me. Well, I was alone. There was nobody here. Um, and I'm like, okay, why was the garage door, you know, closed on its own? I, I clearly didn't touch the garage door because it's on the visor, and... Uh, you know, so I've had a lot of things happen like that that question you. You know, you, you begin to question, you know, and I was looking for scientific reasons. I, you know, Ross, I went as far as calling the garage door company and saying, hey, I know this thing, these doors have sensors on them. Is it possible that one of the sensors can trigger, you know, and, and close the door? And they laughed at me. They said, no, it doesn't work that way. The sensors mm-hmm. only work. If you drive under the door while it's closed, then it'll, it'll go back up. Right. But there's, but there's no way that the garage door will, will close. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, right. So I've had things like that happen. And, you know, when you're trying to use a scientific base to things, sometimes there is nothing scientific about the occurrence that, that can explain it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Trying to debunk the situation and... It's not scary, but it's unnerving. This was late at night, um, and I'm in the garage door, in the garage, and it's dark, and so, you know, it kind of brought a little trigger in my mind when we were talking about, you know, things like that and how things be paranormal events. If they're paranormal, I don't know what it would be, but we've had some things happen here. Uh, um, you know, like my, uh, we have uh, dormer windows or bay windows that... They're, they're doors that connect the two dining rooms, and uh, sometimes they'll just start, you know, locking and, 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 and moving, and no explanation for that either. Oh, wow. There's things, you know, there's things that you make you wonder, you know, and, and uh, a couple of times I've gotten in trouble for having the lights on when the lights, well, I didn't turn them on, and just some weird stuff, you know. Oh, yeah. but you know what happened? Huh? Speaking of that, Evan, <laughs> you know, everybody knows, everybody that knows me knows my house is extremely haunted. I live by the lake. I've researched, live on an Indian burial ground. Some of the meanest Indians, um, they're the Kiawas, they're branched off from the Comanches. And so, you know, anybody, we've seen so many things, it's not even funny. And I've had an issue with, and I always hate talking about this because it's so embarrassing, but it's true. When I, I've had an issue where when I sit down on the potty, the lights go out. <laughs> and every time. And I'm like, really, really? <clears throat> so I've had a breakthrough. You know, I quit fighting them. I quit, you know, just, we're, gonna, we're just going to coexist. And, you know, I respect you. Um, what's the word for that? I can't remember. There's a word for that. Um, Anyway, I respect respect you, you respect me, and we're going to coexist. Listen to this. I sat down on the party today, and the lights came on. And I was like, oh, yes. We, you know, (laughs) thank you. (laughs) Thank you for that. Because now I can see when I'm sitting on the party. And that is such, you know, it's happened for so long, so many years. And I'm always like, really? Don't be rude. And so... Today, you just got stopped like fighting, the light, you know? Yeah, the light came on, and it was like, mm-hmm. okay, thank you. I literally said that out loud. Thank you. 
Yeah. You know, and with my book, I, one of my books that I just that just came out, My Haunted Journal, teaches people um, when they're living in a haunted environment how important journaling is. But it also teaches people how to co- coexist when living with ghosts. Um, because a lot of times people are fascinated with it. They're not always looking for them to leave. Um, so I've always told people, you know, the best thing to do when you're living with a ghost is to have that level of respect for each other and to have to set some ground rules, you know, say, okay, it's great. You're here, but maybe if you're going to be here, maybe between these times of the day, you can do whatever you want, you know, just leave us alone, you know, or this could be your chair. This is your chair. We'll make sure no one sits in your chair. You know, this is your place at the table. No one will sit there. And when you set those rules up with the spirits, you'll find that a lot of the activity will tend to either stop or they'll work with you in those situations. Yeah, I had a, um, I had a really, really bad experience um, in my house. And what you said a little while ago, I probably will never forget it, how we might be creating our own fears, right. possibly a poltergeist. You know, because I grew up Southern Baptist, there's a lot, there was a lot of fear going into this, but I needed to know answers. But a lot of Baptists talk about demons, you know, everything's evil, everything's evil. So now I'm wondering, and this is a psychology question as well, when I, you know, I, there was a, um, a horrible dog-looking thing that peeked around the corner at me one night and said some really horrible things. I saw it. I was awake um, because I asked. Um, my partner is, is, am I awake right now? Because I just saw something. <laughs> like, yeah, you're awake. So yeah. it, it makes me wonder if we don't create our own, you know, do they, is it them playing on their fears or is it us creating our? And that goes into the whole situation where once a client believes that their house is haunted or they're confronted by something, they're not sure what it is we begin to label it ourselves um, just because we, we have this urge to have answers. You know, that's why we, you know, we, we explore the paranormal because we all have this urge to find answers as to what's going on. And so it's so easy for us to build on those fears. And then when you are expecting that you're in a, in a scary environment, you're expecting something to happen. You know, it's the same thing with uh, EVPs. It, again, this gets into the psychology of things. When you go in and you record, you know, amounts of hours of hours of white noise and random noise, even these ghost boxes and all these other things that generate so many different noises, it's so easy for you to pinpoint an answer to your question. Because when you ask a question already in your head, you're determining what that answer could be. And you're listening for that answer. So it's so easy for us to produce our own ghosts. Well, I'm wondering, you know, this particular um, half wolf, half man looking thing, um, peeked around the corner and he said, I'm going to kill you. And Mm -hmm. I just, you know, I wonder, do do you believe in demons? Do you think that... um, Well, one of the things... The thing is, for me, um, is uh, I I don't bring religion into the field of paranormal research. 
um, because I want to respect everybody's beliefs. And if you are going to try and pursue it on some sort of uh, scientific level, you really can't bring religion into it. Um, because as I said, you have to really go by that one rule. You go with what you know and not with what you think you know. Right. Now, you know, again, I'm not saying that they're not out there. If there are demons, I, then my job would be to try and determine how do you determine if you're dealing with a demon or just a pissed off spirit, you know, because you can have bad people in the world too, just as much as you can have good people. There can be people out there that would definitely carry the common, you know, phenomena of, of what people would say a demon is, you know, because there's people out there that will kill somebody, you know. So yeah. who's to say that those spirits don't carry on to the afterlife and they're going around tormenting people as well? Yeah. And I always so, wonder if we don't manifest that ourselves. You know, is that a manifestation of fear? If you go into the belief that like attracts like, then I think it's very possible that if you're a very negative person, you're going to attract a lot of negative um, energy. You know, no, but I'm not negative. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm, not I, negative. I'm, just, I'm just saying, you could, have been in, you could have been in a very negative state at that time. And I'm not saying that this is the, the situation that you experienced. But I'm just saying, in general, um, when you asked about you know, demons, um, I, I think it's a situation where, again, you know, some people just attract that negative energy that's out there because they could easily be a very negative person themselves. Yeah, you're right about that, Ross. There are people that are just negative, dark. There are people that are incredibly dark. You know, I mean, take a look at what I do in the Paranormal Herald. I, you know, I write about these people that are this dark. Um, so I've learned a great deal from doing that. People ask me, well, why do you do that? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons why I do it. One, I'm learning. Two, I'm, I'm sort of warning people to not, you know, fall prey to that. But I've, what I have personally found is the darker the person, the more problems that person has, the more susceptible they become themselves to whatever, you know, darkness they encounter. A lot of Brian. people message me on a weekly basis, it seems, you know, hey, I've got this haunting going on, uh, this paranormal stuff is happening and, you know, they're asking for help. And, and I, you know, get, I start researching who they are and what's going on with them. We're talking about some pretty damn dark people, um, you know, some some people that are actually evil. And, and I think, you know, Kelly had, had the question about, you know, um, that pertains to what we're talking about right now. And, and you know, I've seen it firsthand. Um, it seems like, the, if you're the paranormal and you're dark already, maybe in the dark arts, you know, whatever, maybe you're in the Satanism, et cetera, you, you've, you probably have some very, very influential and dark negative uh, type of energy that that is hanging around you. I mean, you're inviting it in, you know what I'm saying? Um, right. I've, I've written you know, some pieces. Don't make uh-huh. Y'all are really not making me feel any better. Maybe it's <laughs> iniquity, you know, maybe it's, um, you know, my grandfather was a preacher, as we know, and his brother murdered his wife and lived in, you know, his life out in prison. And I've always mm-hmm. wondered if iniquity 
can affect a person. You know, if you had, if, if maybe one of your relatives has had a dark entity, if it can't, you know, go on down the line. There, so there is some belief out there that, you know, especially when you come to, to curses, um, that that is passed down, you know, through all the different generations of the family. Um, you know, one of the, the books that I uh, just wrote with uh, David Weatherly was uh, Haunted Toys. And a lot of the toys that we talked about uh, could easily be cursed. You know, one toy was a, a doll um, that basically any uh, woman that in the family that held that had this doll, um, she would lose her firstborn son uh, within a very short amount of time. And this doll prevented them from having those heirs, you know, the, the male heir in the family because they would die from... Uh, and they believed it was this doll and it was collecting the spirits of these, you know, infant boys. And that would be considered a curse that was just carried on through the family. So there are some situations where if you get into curses, that, yeah, sometimes that might follow uh, individuals of the family throughout the different generations. There are families out there that seem to be full of, you know, tragedy. And they feel that that could be a curse. You know, the Kennedy family, um, they, they believe that their their family is oh, cursed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Sure. Well, you know, when I was little, I had a, mm-hmm. um, a Mabley friend. I was with my mama and my grandpa, who's the preacher. And I had a Mabley friend, and he was so real that they set the table. They set a place at the table for him. Because I would talk to him all day long, every day, and play with him. And he, you know, his name was um, Dabon, D-A-B-O-N. <laughs> and, you know, I think they just thought I was retarded, and they just kind of went along with it. But, you know, looking back on that now, I'm like, who, who was that? It, I saw him. I played with him. I spoke to him. Who was that person? So, you know, I think, I think you might be right. There might be um, certain things that are passed down through iniquity. And even the Bible says that. I know we want to keep mm-hmm. the out of it, but the Bible does speak of that. Mm-hmm. Well, so, so you know how I feel about curses. They only, curses only work if you believe into them and obsess about them and things. I, I, I agree with you on that. About that. Um, I know I've been cursed. I've had, oh, hell, Ross, I've had, you know, when I exposed Bill and, and so forth, you know, I was cursed. They had placed all these curses on me, and, you know, um, I just refused to give in to it. You know I mean? It's alarming to hear that kind of stuff, uh, but I just I won't obsess or, or you know, feed into it. Um, well, you know, the same thing runs in the world of, you know, ghosts as well. If, yeah. you believe, if you put enough power into it, yeah, you're going to give it the strength it needs to, to manifest into something you probably don't want it to manifest into. Um, you know, if you if you believe that it's a, a bad entity in your home, you're going to turn everything into a negative, you know, response, into a negative action. So, you know, you have to be careful on um, on your on how you believe yourself and how you interact with the environment. And again, that all goes into the psychology of it all as well. Uh, yeah. Someone told me that it, it, it was one of the guests on our show, um, 
was a psychic, and she told us that you have to kind of treat those negative energies like a spoiled child. You know, when they start throwing tantrums, Mm -hmm. you ignore it. You know, you don't feed into it. You just go about your day and, and, and don't give it power because if you look at it, you acknowledge it, you're giving it power. So mm-hmm. I think that, that speaks volumes, really. Yeah, and I think, and I think you know, when something like that happens, if you feed into it, you're... I wrote an article about obsession where you're starting to obsess about the incidents and it becomes an addiction, you know, and so is the name obsession. It's really a part of a very serious thing that can happen to you from, you know, you hear about these cases where there's um, activity, usually some sort of a dark or demonic type activity, could be malevolent, evil spirits, whatever, um, where the person is, they start, you know, thinking about it day in and day out, 24 hours a day, while they're sleeping, it's, and they're still in their minds, and they're subconscious, they wake up in the morning, they're doing EBPs, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and the situations always end up really, really bad. Um, mm-hmm. well, well, I was going to say, here, here's a great example of this. Um, let's talk about the Amityville case, all right? We all know yeah. about the Amityville case, all right? But there is always been talk that, you know, it was faked. You know, because they wanted the publicity of this the story. You know, even the lawyers come forward and said, "Yeah, we made up the stories." You know, so we have to go. You know, again, going back to the simple rule: go with what you know and what you not with what you think you know. All right. Now, unfortunately, none of us were there. All right. We only know the stories that we've been told. So, you take that in consideration. All right. Now, the warrants. They're they're very well known for investigating this place. Now, the Warrens come from a religious background where their main focus is demonology. So when they go in, they're obviously going to label everything in, unfortunately, in a negative uh, aspect because that's what they're taught. You know, this is this is what they're expecting it to be. It's got to be a demon. So everything now, you know, becomes more extreme, more negative. And so, you know, it just all goes into that whole situation of, you know, what's been played out, what's been made up. And the situation, the story gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, you know, there's been a bunch of movies (laughs) made off the story, um, and, and again, it just all plays in the situation of psych, the psychological aspect of, you know, it's it's a bad a seed a bad seed, and we're going to run with it. Yeah, I've seen that too many many times. Yeah, just like uh, I guess it was Zach Baggins, you know, the Demon House. You know, mm-hmm. whatever happened to that? First, you know, he had bought the house, and then. Uh, you know, the demons, the kids were walking on walls, and the priest was uh, at the house, and he did an exercise, and, you know, all that stuff. Well, it kind of died down, and, and you know, um, it was it just, as I watched the story unfold, it went from one extreme to the next, and to the next extreme, it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and And so a lot of times... 
you know, you'll have these stories that they get inflated because they're being told by multiple people. Uh huh. Um, and and so you just got to kind of question and and that's another thing that makes it kind of difficult when when you have this paranormal type stories going around, you know, circulating in media and news and TV and movies and you know, all that. It makes it difficult to really determine. You know what's real, what really happened. You know, it's very difficult, actually. Yeah, and, and, you know, Ryan Bell is a perfect example of that. You know, he he was a brilliant human being. You know, he started out um, doing lots of research, and <clears throat> he's mentioned that he's dealt with a demon, and I think that it may have got him in the end, but. You know, there's also... I don't know. I think he's dealing with his own personal demons. I don't think it's an actual physical demon. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, where do you draw the line? You know, he's he's mentioned um, in his show for so long that he did have this secret, and he had a problem with his things. And I'm just wondering if it's not taken over. But, you know, on a positive note, there's a lot of really negative things out there but there's also very positive things, you know. Oh, yeah, there's, definitely. There's, I've had a, I had a near-death experience one time, and I guarantee you they show up. You know, they come, and they're ready, and they're waiting. And, and there's so many positive things, I think, that we need to be looking at. You know, there's, there's the dark, but there's also the light. And I think, right. inevitably, that's, that's the... We all do I that. agree. I mean, it's going on in the world right now, you know, the dark and, and that's, the light. And again, that 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 goes into why I don't um, get into demonology and stuff is because of the situation. I don't want to focus on just the negative. Um, in most of my cases that I've investigated, it's not even negative all, at all. Right. And, and so that's why we're here. You know, ultimately, right. that's why we're all here. We've had an experience, and we and we want to know more answers. I think Jan has a question. Are you there, Jannie? Oh, yeah. While we're on this similar subject, uh, how much do you feel curses work? I mean, or do you feel, well, yeah, do you feel they work? And is it the energy and the work that somebody puts into them? Well, I, I think it really gets into what you think a curse actually is, um, whether you think it's something that's uh, um, some sort of metaphysical element that somebody can place on you and it goes forward with, you know, it's badly deeds. Or if you're looking at it as if, you know, some sort of negative entity is following you throughout your family. So it really determines on if you're dealing with something that could be intelligent or not. Um, You know, when you're looking at a situation, let's go back to that doll um, where, you know, these, these ladies in this family have, you know, experienced, unfortunately, I think it's been third, uh, three generations now where all three of these ladies have lost their infant sons um, and they believe it's tied to this doll. 
Now, easily, um, we could all put our own uh, energy into this belief and cause that curse to become legit because by coincidence, they all three suffered the same fate. And so now, especially when it's happened the second time, it gets stronger when it happens the third time. And it'll get stronger when it happens the fourth time. What's going to put an end to it? Well, when one family member, one female family member, actually has a firstborn child that lives. And then they'll realize, oh, the curse has been broken. But maybe there never was a curse. It's just unfortunately the situation, and it goes with all curses, as, as you're saying, if you, if you believe in it, you can make that, that curse legit because you're, you're putting your own power into this situation. Um, you know, it's the same thing as I could, you know, sit there and look at you and say, oh, you know what? I'm going to make you itch yourself because I feel that you've got an itch coming. And if I say that to you, you'll probably start thinking, and the next thing you know, you're going to want to itch yourself. You know, like, oh, my God, I think I feel that there's some crawling up my back, you know. So it's all power of the mind. Um, so I think in most cases, uh, a curse is something that, again, um, we, we experience something negative in our lives. Um, we don't want to accept that uh, life, unfortunately, is just not fair. So we want to blame something else. We, you know, we don't want to take responsibility for that situation. And you can easily put it onto some form of as a curse. Um, Now, I can't, you know, say that there are situations where, like I was saying, you know, maybe there is a a negative force, uh, an entity, I should say, something that has intelligence that could easily be attached to a family member and then can uh, continue on to follow a certain family, those family members throughout life. And with that negative energy produce very unfortunate events throughout your life. So there's that as well. Right. So I hope that answers the question. (laughs) It it does, you know, but there's also something I'm trying to get to here is, um, you know, I, the reason that I ever got into the paranormal was because I lost a lot of people at a very early age. And I wanted to know answers like, where are they and what are they doing? And I've actually had, and the Chinese absolutely acknowledge this fact. Once someone passes that you love, sometimes you have the dream where they come back and normally they don't speak. You just look at them and they look at you and they're telling you they're okay. You, you kind of telepathically um, communicate with them. And I've had that dream with the people that I love. And the Chinese acknowledge it. You know, I think we're so behind here, but um, is that something that you've ever seen or you know, I I know know for sure that they're okay because they told me they were. Right. Now, after death communication, ADC, um, is a common phenomenon. Now, you know, for us in the, the ghost hunting elements, we'll say yes, you know, people experience their loved ones passing and they'll visit them. I've, you know, had my great grandmother pass away and I was very close to her and I didn't have that. And I was expecting, I was hoping, I was praying that I would have that experience and I didn't. 
you know, unfortunately. Um, you know, there are people, you know, when you get into the scientific realm, they'll say that that's just our, our mind doing something to help us bring closure to the situation, maybe because there's guilt involved, you know, we didn't get to say goodbye, we didn't do what we were hoping to do with that loved one, uh, we didn't get to tell them that we love them. And so they think, you know, and again, this goes into the psychology aspect of it, that it's our mind processing this experience uh, to help bring closure uh, to that lost one. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. You know, unfortunately, I've never experienced it myself as much as I would have liked to have. Um, but I've had other people tell me about these experiences. That calming feel that you have when, you know, you're visited by your loved one where you you would expect yourself to be terrified. There's a ghost in your room, but then all of a sudden you're just like, no, I'm not scared. I know who, who that is. Um, yeah, so, it's a- you know... And again, it's a keeping it feeling, and I think, you know, as I told you that when he passed, I definitely had that feeling that he was okay. I mean, it was one of those mm-hmm. personal things that we were talking about that no one can ever take mm-hmm. away from me. But also, when um, I, I have a disease and my organs shut down, so I was um, on an organ transplant floor and just almost got there. But when I did. He was there. He walked towards me. I sat up and I said his name and my husband went behind me and he said, not yet. Not yet. Mm-hmm. And so that's all I remember. And, and I think mm-hmm. I kind of went unconscious again and he left. But he was right. there in his football jersey. There's no question in right. my mind. And, and that's another thing that um, I think that's the beauty of this is that they are still there. Absolutely. They're waiting on us. And, you know, I think um, those very personal experiences are the most important things that we have. We can take it. You know, and it's funny, too, because, uh, you know, I have never personally experienced it. Um, My dearest friend, you know, I always say this because, you know, she did publish the experience uh, just recently, but she um, just recently lost her mother. And I was spending the night with her that night, um, and I actually woke up around 4 o'clock in the morning. I couldn't sleep, and I was, you know, just sitting sitting around on my phone, and she was asleep. And all of a sudden, she just started talking in her sleep, and I couldn't understand the word. She was just mumbling in her sleep. And, and, you know, the next morning, um, unfortunately, she got that dreadful call that her mother had passed. And she, you know, immediately, I I had told her, you know, even before they got that, she got that phone call that, you know, I I said, you know, it's funny, you know, you were talking in your sleep. She's like, I was, she's like, I don't know what I was talking, talking about or anything. But then she got to thinking, it's like, oh gosh, you know, maybe when I was talking to my sleep, maybe I was talking to my mother and, you know, she really wishes she could remember what she dreamt about, but she doesn't remember anything. But I think, you know, it's just one of those moments, you know, it's like, gosh, you know, I wish I would have had that. And maybe I did, you know, maybe just like her, I had one of those experiences in my dream and I just don't remember it, you know? Yeah. It's like a peaceful, it's like a very, very peaceful experience. And I've had those dreams too where you don't remember what you dreamed about, but then you wake up and you're so happy and peaceful. And Mm -hmm. so I think that's when they really do communicate with us 
when we're um, unconscious because there's something about, you know, when we die, the only thing that's left is our consciousness. And I think mm-hmm. that they they can communicate with that. But we wake up and we're all about facts and figures and, you know, real uh, reasoning. But there's no reason behind that. They just, I really believe that they just come and let us know, hey, I'm okay. And um, you just wake up with the feeling knowing, even if you don't remember it. Right. So right. that's a beautiful part. And it's, you know, death is as natural as birth. And um, I think it's just as beautiful as well. Right. So anyway, <laughs> thank you. That that's I will never forget <laughs> what you said. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yes, very good. You know, Ross, you've answered quite a bit, and and uh, I'm really glad I have I've had you on today. Yeah, you're doing a great well, job. Thank you. Uh, no, it's it's a pleasure. I'm glad you know. Glad to have found you and got you on the show, and, and great topics today. We've been kind of going back and forth in the shine, and, and that's kind of what our show, you know, as a roundtable discussion is really about. So I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased. And, and the other thing is, I've been pretty lazy. I've just been sitting and enjoying listening to everything. I haven't had to talk a lot. Usually I do all the talking, and, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that's cool. Yeah. Well, I try to be respectful and let you guys talk too. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody knows I have no problem talking. So this was kind of a laid back day right. for me. And, <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's a good thing. So, are you are you working on any other projects, uh, Ross? Uh, you got any other books uh, you're working on, or what? You know. Where are you headed uh, this year, or, or where do you see yourself headed next year? Oh my God, this is this actually is going to be a pretty busy year for me. Uh, a lot going on, a lot going on for Spooked in Seattle. Um, we're trying to develop new tours and get those up and going. We're bringing back the our season tours, you know, for the ghost hunts on the Turner Joy and at at the old elementary school, University Heights. Um, so Spooked in Seattle's, you know keeping pretty busy uh, we've actually are now the uh, number one ghost tour in seattle so we're really excited about that um let's see besides so spooked in seattle as i said I, I am working on psychology for the ghost hunter which uh, as i said it's a big project for me um i'm thinking this book's probably going to be close to 300 plus pages and it's it's a learning process for me as well. Um, it's not as easy as just retelling ghost stories that people have experienced or what I've experienced. This is a situation where I'm really trying to open people's minds and not just to um, be a firm believer in ghosts, but if you're going to pursue this field, to, to have that fair share of skepticism, to know what other elements can cause this phenomena that people are claiming to experience. And and I'm finding, you know, especially with psychology, um, there's so many different elements to that as well. When you get into psychology, you know, some people consider that a, a pseudoscience, you know, because, you know, we're all wired differently. How can, you know, you prove through psychology that everybody's going to behave this way or everybody's going to believe this way? So, you know, that, that's just as, as challenging as it comes to in the world of paranormal research as well. 
So that's been a big thing, but, you know, I'm really proud of this book. I think it's going to be a huge success when it gets out because I really feel that everybody that's going to be in this field needs to know this information. So that, you know, when it comes to books, I got that coming out. And then me and David are going to be working on another book called Ghosts on Campus. So we're going to be uh, talking about haunted campuses throughout the U.S., um, when it comes to travels, I leave in, I think, a week, uh, maybe a little more than a week. I'm going to Las Vegas. Oh, damn. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I, I'm going to Las Vegas. I'm staying at the haunted uh, Pink, Flam- uh, Pink Flamingo, and then I'll oh. be visiting some haunts around that area. But then I'm also driving up north, and I'm going to be hitting a ghost town I'm going to be uh, checking out the uh, Goldfield Hotel, which was featured on a lot of the ghost hunting shows. And then we're staying at a haunted hotel up in that area as well. You were going to say something? I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, I was wondering. Yes, I I, uh, I got a little bit to say that, yes. I just got back from the Flamingo in Vegas. I've only been back a few days, and um, I can tell you that the Flamingo is a haunted son of a bitch. There's no no doubt about that. Uh, The hallways are just freakish to me. They're long, narrow, thin, and freakish. Uh, They're dangerous for you. (laughs) Well, it was dangerous for me. I mean, the Flamingo kicked my butt. Uh, (laughs) Ended up having an accident there, and... Uh, banged up my knee and was oh no stuck inside the hotel room for three days and yeah it was pretty nasty so I I could blame it on the spirits but uh, I don't know what spirits they were exactly <clears throat> I knew well, coming up I the minute he said Vegas I was like here we go because yep. Evan just had an accident in Vegas and it was it was a mean cleaning lady maybe she was good. <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot. Thanks, thanks a lot, Holly. Busted my butt. I got my ass kicked by a cleanly. That's wrong. <laughs> That's just wrong. And it's on video. <laughs> <laughs> That's even funnier. <laughs> oh. I do have to say well, that one thing that I'm really excited about is in November. Um, me and my team are going out to uh, the UK and we're doing a haunted castle tour. We are actually no going to be, way. yeah, we're, we're staying the night in a few haunted castles. We are flying into London and we're driving up to uh, Chillingham Castle where we're going to spend the night there. And then we go up into uh, Scotland and we spend three nights in Roslyn Castle. And then we go across the water over into Northern Ireland, and we're going to spend two nights in Bollygolly Castle. That is like so, my paranormal bucket list dream. So it's be sure been mine. So. <laughs> <laughs> be sure and post pictures. We'll be following oh, I will. You. I will. One of the things that uh, me and June uh, Nixon, my vice president, um, she's also one of my dearest friends, um, we are going to be uh, posting a lot of stuff on uh our little blog and uh, little live sessions uh, through uh, Northwest Haunts. 
And you can check that out at uh, northwestnwhaunts.tv. And we got the website up now, so you can kind of follow us around as we travel all over the place doing some amazing things. And we'll be doing lots of live feeds so people can actually uh, experience what we experience. Oh, that'll be cool. Yeah, yeah that'll that would be cool. absolutely awesome. I'm going really to cool. – um, do you guys remember when Zach went to – Zach Bagan went to uh, – yes. it was Miss Molly's in Fort Worth where there was a – there were some prostitutes and it was a it was a big ordeal and this place is very haunted. And I'm going there on March 4th. So I'll be blogging about that as well. But cool. I would really much rather go to the castle with you guys. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. Oh, it's going to be amazing. I'm so excited. The, the Flamingo Hotel, uh, and you probably don't know this, I had to do some research while I was there to figure it out. Uh, they, you know, they have all these windows and balconies, and I'm like, why can't you go out on the balconies? It's because... Uh, they've closed down all the balconies because people jump to their, you know, they jump to their deaths. They lose all their money, and they yeah. commit suicide. So that, you know, is is while we were there, uh, the first time uh, last year, they, that's exactly what had happened, and, and uh, yeah. they had jumped down an area, and somebody had jumped to their death. Uh, and so, a lot of any activity that you might find there. You know, I don't know about the legend too much. I I was too busy nursing my leg, but um, you know, it's said that you, you'll you'll hear apparitions and noises and things and people walking down the halls. I heard partying, and there was nobody even in the hotel room, so that was kind of weird to me. Uh, so I heard some stuff. Can't explain it, but it is what it is. Mhm. That makes a lot no. of sense, though. Oh, yeah. yeah, definitely, because, you know, you think about it, you know, Vegas, you know, it's got all of its uh, glitz and glamour, but think of all the depression it's holding on to as well. It's just like, oh, my gosh, you know, all those people that wanted a fast buck and unfortunately didn't get it, you know? Yeah. It's so easy to to lose everything. So. It sure is. And, you know, a lot of people depend on that as their last option. You know, like, I'm going to go put down this amount of money and hopefully get it back. Um, I do so well in Vegas. Like, I usually come back in a limo. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I have that much of a curse because I really, really do well in Vegas. I always have. And so, but I can see where. What's your game? uh, Blackjack. That's not Blackjack? Okay. (laughs) And yeah. blackjack, smackjack, blue. <laughs> yeah. And the trick is to tell the dealer that it's your first time. They want you to win. If you if You're it's your first time in Vegas. Oh my God. Well, well oh. I didn't know that's what I I didn't know that's what I was, but I guess I am. And I was like, Okay, it's my first time. Let's you know, let's do this and so they want you to win and they help you. So always say that. They'll help you all right. You know, bet 500, close the table, and they'll bring in another dealer and say, thank you very much for the lesson. Would you like to try again? Yeah. yeah. I went so big last time I was there that those people in the dark suits came out and watched me. 
Well, when I was in the fall, people from Dark Suits came out and watched me, too. <laughs> Who are they? <laughs> <laughs> well, they like the men in black. They were the men in gray. In other words, yeah, you tell them at the casino, I can't touch you. It'll cost $4,000 to call a paramedic. So we're just going to leave you on the floor bleeding. That's exactly what they did. Oh, oh God. Yeah, I wouldn't go back yet. I don't think that's a good place for you. <laughs> <laughs> it is well, funny, though. Yeah, it was a... It was an interesting. I remembered, you know, they're like, they asked me questions, well, what were you drinking? Um, ironically, I hadn't had my, my first drink was in my hands. It was a zombie. I didn't get, I didn't even get a drink out of it. It went all over the, I think the, the lady next to me and, and the floor and so forth. Unbelievable. Oh, man. Yeah, I fell. When I fell, it, uh, it was pretty bad. I, yeah. It was it was nasty. What I was mad about is you know the the cleaning staff that they have. You know, uh, they well they hire you know Spanish speaking and, and um, yeah, it was just something that I'm not sure I want to experience anytime soon. Um, the when I fell, the lady is just just looking at me, standing there, just looking at me for like twenty minutes while I'm on the ground. <laughs> wouldn't it be weird, Evan? Wouldn't it be weird if y'all, you know, you part a lawyer if you get that video back and there's nobody there? So. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, thanks a lot. If it, that would be awful, I fell over. Nothing? No, that would be a presentable case. <laughs> <laughs> Leave up the case and come up with some shit like that. How did you? <laughs> what if she's a ghost and she doesn't show up? So all it shows uh-huh. is you just, you know, slipping and falling back and rolling over a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they'd be asking what drugs was he on. <laughs> are you gonna are you gonna put that on YouTube? <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. I mean, <laughs> I am waiting for the video back. Uh, I'm waiting for the video to see what happened. And um, all I can say is, you know, if I got attacked by the boogeyman, I really have a paranormal experience I'm gonna share. <laughs> oh, Kelly, you called him, and he said, yeah. him back. <laughs> yeah, I can I see it already. It's, he's he's just going to be doing flips in the air. There was no crush. <laughs> oh, my. It's going to be a paranormal experience. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Hey, Ross, is, uh, is there any type of uh, particular equipment that you find very useful in your investigations? Well, there's a lot of equipment. Because um, one of the things that I, I really try to teach people is you can't use one piece of equipment to prove the existence of ghosts. It's going to be a combination of various different readings that's going to help support each other in uh, what we're experiencing. 
But uh, I find that uh, some of the, the basic equipment that is, that's very important is obviously video. You know, if you mm-hmm. can uh, videotape the, the phenomena, that definitely gives you something visual to, to analyze. But it's also nice to, yes, have that video, but let's see if we also have something, you know, with EMF readings to match up with that phenomena as well or something with ion readings or, you know, anything else to validate that experience. So you can rule out certain uh, situations like maybe it was just a light reflection. Well, light reflection is not going to give off uh, EMF reading. Um, So it's one of those things that you you really do have to depend on different combinations of readings to help support your experiences. But, you know, you, you can't, you know, do an investigation without the tried and true recorders, you know, video recorders, because, you know, EVP is another thing that just, is amazing uh, when you ask a direct question and you get a direct answer. So, you know, definitely you want those two elements, but you're going to want as many pieces of equipment as possible. You know, I like, you know, using thermal imaging. I like using the ion counters and I just love coming up with other elements um, to, to read as well. Because, you know, some people have always asked me, you know, when I go out to my the, these campuses, they always say, ooh, I want to I play with the ghost meter. I'm like, there's no such thing as a ghost meter, you know. Yes, there's one on the market called itself a ghost meter, but it's nothing more than just a, a simple EMF detector. But uh, I've always told people that to develop a tool like that, you have to know what a ghost is made of. So there's no tool out there that's going to tell you, yes, you have a ghost in your home. Even if it's a phone app that says, yes, you have a ghost standing right behind you. There's no such thing. So, yeah, um, pickles well, is probably well, not the way to go, but there have been a lot of um, a lot of advances in the paranormal field. And one I've noticed, um, especially Stephen Huff, his equipment is um, being used in so many different places. And I think he may have nailed it. Um, have you heard um, of? Um. <laughs> yeah. Oh. What's that, Mister Nerve? No. Well, no. I, I don't know the guy personally, you know, so I can't say anything about him personally. But I do know that uh, a lot of the equipment that these groups are using, they're not aware, especially a lot of these digital ones, you know, phone apps and stuff like that, uh, the Ovulus things like that, that they're using GPS voice recognition software in them and they they basically are able to pull out words that are around you are words that you have spoken. That's scary. That is scary. Yeah. There there's a lot of tools out there that will manipulate you into believing that you're experiencing something paranormal. And then there's just you know there's just word generators and it and again it goes back to the psychology aspect of it where they're basically, you know, pulling out a word, and it is so easy for you to make that word work for you, you know. Um, so you got a lot of word generators. And then also, you know, when you talk about things that cycle through different noises and different sounds, it's so easy to, you know, pick up the words that you want it to say. Now, I'm not saying, you know, like, you know, ghost boxes or anything like that don't work. Um, but it's a, so it's a lot easier to manipulate yourself into believing that it's working for you at that moment 
Because if you go to the basic science of it all, there, there had been talk about spirits communicating through radio signals, um, dead radio stations. You know, there's lots of stories that go way back before these devices were even created where, you know, somebody will be driving their old, you know, pickup truck and the radios turned, you know, onto some dead station. You're just listening to the white noise and then all of a sudden you'll hear a voice talk to you. You know, so there's been oh, wow. stories like that that have been around for, you know, quite some time. And, you know, the root to these ghost boxes, yeah, come from that, where it is believed that the spirits were communicating to you through these dead radio signals. But again, and, and this is where I have proof to support this. Um, I, I've taught classes at uh, UW, and one of the things that I, I would do is I would record the cycling for like two to three hours. Then I would take it to a haunted place, and um, I'd have my students, you know, sit in the room, and I'd tell them about the ghost box, how it works, and then I would play that recorded information. It's not live like it's supposed to be. It's already pre-recorded, and the students will still pick up answers to their questions. Wow. You know, there was a time that I um, I did a kind of um, I went to. Um, it was it was like a party on Halloween at a yacht club, and there was a lot of older ladies, and we kind of showed ghost boxes, and there were different things that we did. I mean, we used um, one from Danny Bigbeer, we used one from Steve Huff, we used um, just the basic Frank's box, and I noticed as we were playing them that there was a lot of negativity that came through on one of them. I mean, like, I had to turn it off. It was so horrible. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. because there's these, there's these ladies coming through, and they're like, you know, F you, me. And I was like, okay, this is not cool. <laughs> so I had to turn it off. But I would, energy that the people that create them, um, mm-hmm. it actually, if you're looking for light, you're going to have light in that box. If you're dark, then dark things are going to come through. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, you put your intent into something, then that's what it's going to be. So that's the experience I've had with the ghost boxes. I had to actually um, smash one of them and throw them away because it was so evil and so negative. But I think a lot of times that whoever creates this, you're getting a lot of that person in it. You know, it's like anything anything that you put into intention is it's gonna you know, it's gonna show them. It's gonna show their personality. So yeah, I had to delete one of them and never use it again because there was nothing but evil and horrible things coming through it. But with some of Huff's things I've noticed that there's a lot of you know, a lot of life and a lot of good. It speaks good words. Well, again, you know, just be cautious. Um, You know, my biggest fear is that they're using situations or devices that use GPS, that use, you know, voice recognition, and it's going to give you that false hope, you know, because it's hearing you speak your name, and then it turns around and it calls out your name. Or it's pulling up, you know, a word from the street, you know, across the street, because, you know, it's pulling up the, the words, you know, from the GPS. Yeah. So I'm just saying, be careful. I know there's a lot of phone apps that do that. 
Um, and, yeah, and, and, and people don't look to see that it says right in small print, this is for entertainment purposes only. You know, yeah, so just be your, cautious of things like that. To prove your point, um, I don't know if y'all can hear this bird. There's a crow sitting on my tree just screaming at me. But <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> to prove your point, I had a friend across the street that um, always went swimming in his pool. Always. You know, I didn't even have to ask him. I could just go swim in his pool anytime. And he had a drug problem. Not, you know, it was just uh he actually, it, it was pain pills, and he drank a lot. And I told him, you're going to die on this couch if you don't get up and do something about this. And, and sure enough, he did. Well, I had a ghost box that I used, and I was walking down the street, and I got past his house, and it said swim. I was like, oh, my God. Okay, so how how can that even be possible? That someone just told me to swim. And so that answers a lot of questions about what you just said. You know, there's they pick up on words. They know mm-hmm. the location. They know there's a pool mm-hmm. there. And it's mm-hmm. a swim. And it just, I mean, I stopped in my tracks. So I was like, what? Did he just say swim? So, yeah, that's pretty interesting to know. And, and again, uh, the problem that we have in the field today is there's a lot of tools that, you know, that are being made that produce too much. uh, um, They're too suggestive is what I'm trying to say. Um, And so it's making our job too easy. And when it makes our job too easy, then, you know, it's probably not the right thing. You know, there's probably something wrong with the device. I don't know is what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying don't jump into the the fact that um, this is definitely going to be a legit tool to help you with your ghost hunt, and it's going to have all the answers because there's nothing out there that has all the answers. There's still a lot of work involved in this field. I wish, you know, I wish there was a device out there you could just sit on the table and say, okay, tell me how many ghosts are in this room, what's their names, and why are they here? Yeah. You know, I wish it was that easy. But, again. I've actually had an experience where you go in and ask who is in the room. And mm-hmm. they will say my name and somebody else's name in the room. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's... You know, I just, you know, it's a fascinating field. It really is. And when you have that unique experience that you know is a valid paranormal experience, it makes it all worthwhile. It really does. Um, but I'm just trying to at least educate people to, to realize that there are unfortunately a lot of devices that will, you know, manipulate your, your thought process. Um and there's even a lot of uh, experiences that will manipulate you as well into thinking these places are haunted. So, but I just pursue it with an open mind and I just document everything I experience, everything the team experiences, everything the client experiences, and I get out there and publish it, hoping that uh, it'll at least open people's minds or help other people to help us to find the answers as to what's going on as we hopefully come together as a community 
rather than be territorial and fight with each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, Ross, uh, not to interrupt or cut the show short, but we're getting down to the time where it's going to get busy here at the house. So I, I just wanted to say thank you for coming on the show today and for sharing with us tonight. And, and you made a great guest. We'd love to have you back. Uh, Anytime. More. Uh, so anytime you want to come on, shoot us a line, give us a buzz, whatever it takes. We'll be glad to have you on anytime. And again, it's been a pure pleasure talking with you today and you know, conversing back and forth. Um, great job tonight. So much appreciated. You know, lots of respect and prompts to you for showing up on time, uh, <laughs> being reliable and, and being that kind of guy. So with that said, I just want to thank, of course, uh, Jan Reynolds and Kelly Griffin as well for help making this show possible today. Um, with that said, we got another show coming next Tuesday, same time, 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. But Ross, if you could tell people uh, who will be listening later on as well uh, where they can, you know, find your material, your books, and 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 maybe. Um, discuss a little bit about your tours, both in Seattle, for the people that are listening and will be listening. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, if you're, you're trying to find out a little bit more about me, you can always go to a ghost.org, and that's A-G-H-O-S-T.org, and learn about more about my group and some of the investigations we're doing and where, where we've been. And then, of course, uh, if you would like to do uh, one of my tours, uh, you can find me at spookinseattle.com. Uh, and uh, I tend to do tours on Fridays. I do a special deluxe tour where I'll give you a ghost tour of Pioneer Square. And then I'll do a little half-hour tour of my death museum. And we are the first death museum in the Northwest, so we're really excited about that. And then, of course, uh, you can also follow myself in June when we uh, start getting uh, haunt, uh, Northwest Haunts up and running. And that is at uh, nwhaunts.tv. And uh, also, you can follow me on Facebook. I do a lot of live feeds off of that as well. Um, unfortunately, I've meet my friends' capacity, so I won't be able to accept everybody as friends, but you can definitely follow me. Uh, let's see. What else? I I think that's about it. Oh, my books. Uh, you can definitely uh, find my books on Amazon. And uh, my books are Ghostology 101, um, Spook in Seattle, Tacoma's Haunted History, um, My Haunted Journal, and my most recent one, Haunted Toys. All right. Very good. Much appreciated, as I say. And Thank you, everybody, for listening in tonight, and, and thank you for everybody that participated in the show. Ross, uh, we'll be in touch. So I want to have you back again so you can go into details on some of the places you've actually been a little more, you know, a little further. So we'll, we'll get together and we'll schedule another time where we can have you back on again. Uh, with that said, I just want to wish everybody a great night tonight. Be well. Be safe if you're ghost hunting. Um, you know, be careful out there. With that said, I'm Evan Jansen. This is Beyond Reality, the best, your best in paranormal talk radio. New slogan, by the way. Um, just wishing everybody a good night. So, good night, everybody. Good night. Good, good night. night.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.